This is an ABC podcast. Hello, it's Amanda Smith here, and this is Sporty. Coming up, how a group of soccer-mad teenagers newly arrived in Australia are finding their feet by learning to be referees. Yeah, that's good. When you blow the whistle, your whistle is your form of communication between you, the players, the spectators and the coaches. For me, I want to be a soccer player, but I also want to learn about uh, ref, because at the moment I'm looking for a job and still can't find a job for now. So it's going to be good if I'm going to make some money from, from that. Also ahead, what the implications are of the Court of Arbitration for Sports ruling on the champion runner, Casta Semenya. It's been called the sporting trial of the century. First though, let's just go for a walk. Recreational walking is now top of the list of Australia's most popular physical activities. And I'm visiting Australia's oldest walking club. Hello, you must be the Melbourne Walking Group. What a nice morning tea this looks like. Stuart. G'day, how are you? I'm always well. Campbell. Hi Campbell. Alan. Hi Alan. What was your name? Hugh. Hugh, g'day. The one who offered me a bite of his roll. <laughs> what do you got in it? Ham, cheese and pickle. Delish. This is this is all to fuel you before the walk, is it? Yeah. The reason why we have morning tea here is that some come a long distance. one member come from Dramana. So he's probably had breakfast at six o'clock. It looks like it's going to rain today. So do you walk come rain, hail or shine? We walk in the rain, but very heavy rain. We take a boat. And usually it's unanimous that we <laughs> we head somewhere for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and how far do you are you going to be walking today? It's about twelve, a bit over twelve kilometres. It's shortened over the years. Unfortunately, we're ageing. <laughs> well, you are Australia's oldest walking club, I understand. One hundred and twenty-five years. And who started it, and why? Stuart? <laughs> no, I didn't. didn't I didn't start it. Um, but there were various members who were interested in race walking, and then they sort of decided they would do walking without the race walking part. So that's basically how it started. And it was all blokes. At that stage, the answer was yes. In the old days, they used to walk. With, they come to work on Saturday morning, get the train out to wherever they were starting the walk in their suit. Collar, tie, hat, the works, and walked. I'm a, I'm a bit disappointed you're not in your suits and uh, hats and ties. Well, if we'd had more notice that you were coming, we would have we would have got dressed up. But... Do you reckon walking keeps you fit? <coughs> if he lives long enough, he'll answer your question. <coughs> it helps to keep you fit. I think the, the, the thing is to get up, make you get up and get out and do it. Would you do that if you didn't belong to a walking group, do you think? Probably not, no. It's a little bit lonely walking on your own. The motivation isn't as great when you're doing it by yourself, so it's good to have a, a regular thing to do every week. Yep. Yeah, good 10, 12k walk every week or so is great exercise. Um, and we get to see parts that you wouldn't otherwise get to see because this club walks all over, not just in our local area. Uh, you have to like walking for a start, but it's the company more than anything else. What about you? Well, it's a matter of keeping fit in a very non-competitive way. Yeah. I find that if you stay at home, 
at the end of the day you say, oh, what have I done? But if you go out and walk, you do come home feeling great. Yeah, you may not feel great while you're walking, but you certainly feel great when you're, uh, when you're finished. Do you talk while you walk? No. That's one of my complaints. Uh, you go out in the bush and nobody looks at the scenery. They're all too busy talking. <laughs> we decide the fate of the country. We decide which parties should be in power and what, how much better they would do it if they would only listen to us. It's what's been called the Melbourne Talking Club. <laughs> but we don't talk when we're walking up hills. No. All right. Now, can I just ask, what's, what's your sort of general age? I'm 87. 82. 81. I'm the baby, 77. <laughs> 82. There are younger people walking. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're, the, you're the august elders? Absolutely. We'll, we'll answer to that, yeah. <laughs> I'll buy that one. So you're packing up your thermoses and yes. uh, yep. you're about to get underway? Well, we announce the order of the day, where the escapes are, maybe where the toilets are. <coughs> This type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our walk. It's easy the first part, medium the second part. A few escapes, the first one here. The second logical one, Springvale Road, which is about six And yes, it's official. Walking is Australia's favourite physical activity. That's ahead of going to the gym, running and cycling, and according to the latest data just released by Sport Australia. Now, recreational walking might be popular, but what does the science say about its physical benefits? Does walking provide enough by way of exercise for your health and fitness? Jackson Fife is an exercise scientist. Jackson, first of all, tell us what's happening to your body physiologically when you're out walking? So I guess if we take a step back for a second and we consider that walking is one form of aerobic type exercise. I like that we're taking a step back yeah. to go walking. <laughs> so thinking of walking as one form of cardiovascular exercise. So uh, when we walk, we contract our muscles, bring oxygen into the body and we distribute that to the working muscles. Those short term changes in our body, so the increases in heart rate and the increases in breathing rate, certainly uh, over time they lead to potentially increases in our fitness levels. And certainly there's other health related benefits such as reductions in blood pressure, potentially favourable changes in our blood lipids, the fats in our blood, and also reducing the risk of chronic diseases such as type 2 diabetes, heart disease. How much walking is a good amount? The current guidelines really are for 150 minutes of moderate activity a week. Does walking qualify as moderate activity? There's the possibility that walking can be at least a moderate intensity exercise. So that's exercise that would be sitting around about 50 to 70% to of your maximum heart rate. So you have to walk at, what, a sort of a decent pace? How do you know? Yeah, so if you can maintain a conversation, I think that's sort of suggesting that, you know, you haven't exceeded that moderate intensity. If you are unable to maintain a conversation during your walk, you're probably above that moderate intensity. You're and probably into, running. Yeah, close to, close yeah. to. Is walking, though, if it is your only physical activity, enough so walking, as we've mentioned, has a number of benefits. What it doesn't do too well is it doesn't really stress what we would term our musculoskeletal system all that well. So walking, as compared to other forms of exercise like muscle strengthening exercise, it really doesn't stress 
the muscles and the bones to a great enough extent to improve things such as our muscle strength and bone density as well. All right. So even when you're older, um, so, you know, like those blokes at the walking club, they're mostly in their 80s. Walking is still, you would say, not enough. I think the point is it's certainly still beneficial and any exercise is better than none. But certainly I would encourage all individuals, young or old, to be incorporating some form of muscle strengthening exercise into their routine. And in particular, as we age, those capacities are declining significantly. So if you consider that after the age of 40 to 50, we're losing about 1% of our muscle mass, our peak muscle mass per year. And we're losing about 3 to 4% of our peak strength levels as well. So what's a, what, what would you term a muscle strengthening exercise? Any exercise where we are exerting force against an external resistance, and that resistance can be as simple as our body weight. So if we think about walking, we're exerting relatively low levels of force when we're doing that, compared to if we are, say, repetitively rising up out of a chair or climbing stairs, those would be body weight style muscle strengthening exercises that would be sufficient to stress the muscles and bones enough to get a benefit for muscle strength and also bone density. Jackson, do you have any thoughts on why walking comes out on top as the most popular of physical activities or sports for Australians? Probably the number one reason is that it's quite an accessible mode of exercise. It doesn't really require any specialised equipment and it's very cheap to do as well. Well, as you say, it's cheap, it's accessible and it's very popular. Dr Jackson Fife is a lecturer in strength and conditioning sciences at Deakin University. Jackson, thank you for joining us here on Sporty. Thanks very much. <laughs> All right, this is where I'm going to leave you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Enjoy your walk. See ya. The Melbourne Walking and Talking Club, Australia's oldest walking group, founded in 1894. And you're listening to Sporty with Amanda Smith. Now, for months, the international sporting community has been cautiously waiting for the result of an appeal brought to the Court of Arbitration for Sport by the champion South African runner, Casta Semenya. It's been described as a landmark case because of its impact on the participation of intersex as well as transgender athletes in women's sport. The decision was finally handed down this week. Janis Pitsiladis is a sports scientist and a member of the IOC's Medical and Scientific Commission. Janis, the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruling confirms that Casta Semenya has to reduce her testosterone levels if she wants to compete in middle distance events. Uh, now, most women have testosterone levels in the blood below two nanomoles per litre, yeah? Approximately, yes. And for men, the range is around from 8 to 30 nanomoles per litre, so a big difference. Yes. Castor Semenya is what's known as a DSD athlete. Uh, DSD stands for Differences in Sexual Development, in her case, hyperandrogenism. Do you know what her testosterone levels are? I don't, but even if I do, I wouldn't be able to tell you. They must be more than five nanomoles per litre, though, yeah? I'm sure, else she wouldn't have taken this case to Cass. So the ruling, the International Athletics Federation, IAAF ruling, that's just been ratified by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, is that... Casta Semenya has to, to compete, has to get her testosterone below that five nanomoles per litre. So she's being asked to give up her natural ability. 
Well, I think we shouldn't personalize this case to her. Yes, she's taking the case to Cass, but this is about how we integrate intersex individuals into female sport to make the competition as fair as possible. It's about doing the right thing for competitive sport. Well, it's interesting that in the ruling, the, the Court of Arbitration for Sport admits that it is discriminatory, but that even so it's necessary, reasonable and proportionate for fair competition. So do you agree with that? I agree. It is, it, it is absolutely necessary for the majority. And there will be a number of individuals like Castor who will feel very aggrieved with the situation. Um, you know, I've spent my whole life talking about clean sport. And here we have a situation where we wanted to take drugs to compete, you know. Uh, That's right. So it's a real conundrum here. This was the outcome I wanted, but in particular looking at the headline, which is the word discrimination, that really makes me worry because it is discrimination against her, but I think any other decision would have been discrimination against the, the majority of athletes, female athletes. So this is a very peculiar, particular case, and that's why there are n no one can stand up being happy with the decision, you know. Um, but I think the limited sign available has been appropriately applied here and I think we've reached the right decision. Why does the um, testosterone limit apply now uh, in athletics only to specific events, to middle distance races rather than more broadly? Because that does seem to be targeting Castor Semenya in particular. I mean, you're saying this is, this is not just about her, but it does seem to be targeting her. Well, I personally have an issue with the ruling in terms of uh, applying it to only certain events. And I'm pretty confident this will have to be looked at. It makes sense in the shorter distances. I mean, from a physiological point of view, it makes sense. But we will certainly look at that. Because we also know in endurance events, testosterone levels can influence levels of red blood cells. And so that's your oxygen carrying capacity. So theoretically, it could also influence in the endurance events. Um, and events under 400 metres. I mean, at the, this ruling is for or events between 400 metres and the mile, surely testosterone affects your performance in, in shorter events, in the 100 metres and 200 metres. Absolutely. That's a very good point you make. I was more concerned for the injuries because I spent more time there. But no, you're absolutely correct. Also in the shorter distances. That's why I think the scientific community will join together in actually trying to deal with that issue. Does this ruling have implications, Janus, for transgender athletes in women's sport? This really will have very important implications for transgender sport because using this kind of threshold of the five nanomoles per litre, it will be equally applied to transgender. Um, but, you know, this whole idea is to make this kind of a ruling somewhat fluid. So as we generate more data, it can be in one sense corrected. But I think five will turn out to be roughly where we will end up. Well, there is an awful lot of complexity and controversy around all this, around intersex and transgender women competing in female sport. And one of the problems that you're indicating, I think, is that right now there just isn't enough scientific evidence to make a clear case about what is fair. Now, you and your colleagues are about to embark on a big study involving transgender people before, during and after transitioning, what are you wanting to find out and establish? 
Well, let's keep in mind that the transition is a lifetime process. So they'll be okay. transitioned throughout their lifetime. We want to really find out what happens in terms of the, let's take the, this issue of what's called muscle memory. The muscle will start off as male. What happens during the transition process? Will it still have the kind of uh, makings of a male muscle, so still maintain a lot of its benefit that was once there? So uh, this is, are there, there like residual benefits of having gone through a, a male testosterone puberty, even though subsequently in transitioning you've taken testosterone suppressants? You said it beautifully, and that's exactly, and the animal studies show that there is a, a very large residual effect, which equally could apply to the likes of Castor because she's actually been competing growing up in a milieu of very high testosterone levels so there actually could be that that big benefit remains not to the same level but she will have some benefit there so we can still predict I would gather that she will still be very competitive and my money is on her winning gold in Tokyo in 2020 next year so that's even with reduced testosterone levels if there are residual effects plus of course her own training efforts and so on. Yes. Tell me more though, Janis, uh, then about what you're doing with this study. I think you're hoping to gather 40 people to do this research with. Yes, we um, plan to study 20 male to female transitions and 20 female to male transitions. Do an extensive battery test before the transition, during um, and following them over a long period of time. What impact does the transition have on their performance? And then by understanding that, come back also to this ruling and see, well, is it the right ruling? And will all these uh, people in your study be athletes? At the moment, because we haven't got the final ethical approval in, so we haven't had the chance to go through the, the 3,000 individuals from which we're going to select our volunteers. Uh, we're certainly hoping there'll be a number of athletes and also maybe some military personnel as well. So that'll give us some individuals who are, in other words, are athletes in some way or other. But we were contacted recently by a double Olympian who competed in two Olympics as a male and is considering competing in Tokyo as a female, has transitioned and is basically contacted us to be part of our research and for us to really understand the process because there we have a double Olympian who had success in two Olympics coming back to a third Olympic now as a, a, a different gender. So it will be quite fascinating to see what we will find and, and how successful she will be and we certainly uh, are very keen to support her. I imagine you can't name the athlete, but can you say which sport? It's, it's rowing. Uh, I, I, in the discussions I have had, I've asked, because obviously there'll be a lot of publicity and she will be in the, in the news a lot, would that worry her? And for her, it was very important that she helps others. And that's really what we're trying to do as well. You know, make this very emotive area a little bit easier to deal with and, and make this as fair as we can make it. And Giannis Pizzolatis is a leading sports scientist. He's a member of the IOC's Medical and Scientific Commission and Professor of Sport and Exercise Science at the University of Brighton in the United Kingdom. And this is Sporty. Now imagine you're 16, 17, not long arrived in Australia from, say, Sudan or Ethiopia. There are a fair few barriers you're going to face, including it being quite difficult to get a job. There's a multicultural organisation based in the western suburbs of Melbourne called the Community Soccer Hub, and it's got a bunch of these teenagers busy training to be soccer referees so that they can earn some money through the sport they love. 
And as sporty producer Nadia Hume finds out, there's more than income to be gained by becoming a qualified referee. Yeah, that's good. When you blow the whistle, your whistle is your form of communication between you, the players, the spectators and the coaches. So now... Hi, my name is Surafel. I'm 16 years old. I came from Sudan. I play soccer under 18s and I want to make it big in soccer, but got to work hard. And by doing my refing course here is um, getting experience and just being confident like to just speak up because some people can just put you on the spot and then you don't know what to do so you're trying to get out of the you know the pattern and you've got an older sibling who's into soccer as well is he a good inspiration for you Uh, older brother he's a ref too he started last year he told me to do it and i I decided to do it because he started making me jealous by making a bit of money (laughs) and then i decided to do it then this year what are you learning here today in the ref course uh, we're learning how to use called, um, blow the whistle, uh, what kind of whistles with um, different fouls, or it could be um, a free kick or a careless tackle. What do your friends think about you being a referee and doing this course today? Uh, they started laughing at the start because I'm, I'm a bit short for a ref, you know. It'll be weird when a, a player is taller than the ref and you have more rights in the upper hand, but... He's looking down on me, so, yeah. Does that worry you? Uh, no, because I have the red and the yellow cards. What does soccer mean to you? Uh, it means a lot. It means everything. So, it's like I'm married to the ball, married to, married to the game. No, no, don't. Why are you blowing the whistle? <laughs> I'm blowing right. I asked him, I said, like, you have to. No, you don't. Yeah. You blow the whistle for the free kick? Only, yeah. Yeah. Hey. And then you, you give the card... And then you, you blow the whistle to restart the game. My name is Nick Hatsogler and I'm the head of community projects at Football Victoria. We're here today at a course for referees, for up-and-coming referees. Why is it important that these young people are being trained to be refs? One, it's really important to, you know, for people that partake in football to understand what it's like to referee. So this program gives you great insights and uh, exposes you to the challenges. I think, secondly, it allows us to get to know a little bit more about our communities, particularly our new and emerging communities, and understand them better. I think, thirdly, it provides employment opportunities. And I think, fourthly, it allows them to gain confidence and build their self-esteem by being a referee and in control of a match. But for you, both you're communicating to the teammates, you're communicating to the coach and the spectators. Yeah. But the actual challenge is only a yellow card. So if, if they think you're giving yellow card for that... Yeah, uh, my name is Sane. Um, I'm 17 years old. and now year 11. I'm here today to learn about the rules of soccer and have fun as well. Are you trying to become a better player by becoming and learning about being a referee? Um, for me, I want to be a soccer player. But I also want to learn about uh, ref. Because yes, I want maybe later I can make it as my part-time job. Yeah. Is there anything surprising about what you've learnt today? Yeah, a lot of things. Because I didn't know like um, half time you have to whistle a double, like just do it twice. And um, also I didn't know how to like you have to whistle when you when there's substitution. Yeah, that's what I've learned today. Do you think that there are other things that you can learn by being a referee that you could use in the rest of your life? Um, yeah, I think um, ref, you have to be friendly with the people 
So, yeah, I'm friendly, but not too much because I always stay alone with myself, just talking with people online, like on the phones, but I don't talk with them face-to-face outside. So it's going to be good if I learn that in the, here to, to be a ref. It will be great for me, a great opportunity, because I will learn how to talk with the players and be friendly with them. So are you saying that you do a lot of your talking on social media and on the telephone, but not face-to-face? Yeah, because um, most of my friends, like, they just remain in Egypt. So, yeah, I, I, really, I always talk to them on phones or on, on Facebook. Are you hoping that you might be able to make a bit of money by being a referee? Yeah, I, I'm hoping that, yeah. Because at the moment I'm looking for a job and still can't find a job for now. So it's going to be good if I'm going to make some money from, from that. Is it hard for a young person to get a job these days? Um, I think yes, because if you hear, like, um, it's not the same like when I was in Egypt. Because when I was in Egypt, you can get a job quick, like much quicker. There's not many people. But here, I think um, you need more experience. So, and me, I didn't do any experience here. So that's why I think it's a bit hard for young people who didn't get experience to get a job here. Okay, that's good. So guys, in your spare time, just think about it. There are three types of whistles. No card, free kick, just a free kick. The next one, there's going to be a yellow card. My name is Weston. I'm from Zimbabwe. So I moved to Australia in 1996 to study. I became a referee. That was 10 years ago now. After that, I decided to to do instructor course so that I could uh, do these courses to educate new referees. As a referee, what I've learned a lot is managing uh, because when I'm a referee with two assistants, I have to manage the team. So managing the team, it gives me very good uh, skills in teamwork. It also gives me skills in communication and it, it gives you confidence. And also for me, it gives me a good rapport with people. I, just, I meet so many different kind of people during games. So it's good for me. I get to know what's happening in the society and just to, to see people and allow them to be themselves. Which offenses do we give yellow cards for? What happens for us to give yellow cards? Foul. Foul, like what? Like a reckless challenge. Yeah. That's one. Careless. So my name is Thomas and I'm originally from Burma. I've been living in Australia for five to six years. And then I'm currently volunteering in Community Soccer Hub and I'm do, I do a lot of refereeing as well. Is it hard to be a referee? It, is, it can be hard when all the people are very um, what is enthusiastic, so they want to win. Obviously, when they play soccer, even friendly match, or it doesn't matter if it's friendly or a competition, they come here to win. So when the match got intense, that's where the referee are under pressure. And then I, reg- I guess uh, it's very, most, uh, mo- some of the games are easy, but most of the time uh, re- being referee is hard. So you're a player and a referee. Yes. How important is soccer in your life? So soccer is everything for me, so I would give anything to soccer. Uh, because of this soccer, I, I meet a lot of new friends and I make a lot of connections. Um, and then because of soccer, uh, I'm fit and I can walk better and I can communicate better because of soccer. So basically, soccer is a big, important part of my life. If, if there's no soccer... Uh, I couldn't imagine any sport than soccer. That's, that's all I can say, yeah. Oh.
So when you give a card, guys, so you need to record the time as well. For the report, if the second yellow, then you have to put the report. It's a clever idea, isn't it? Teaching these kids to be referees in the sport that, as you heard, they love more than anything else. Nadia Hume, who's the producer of Sporty, took you to meet them. And I'm Amanda Smith. Now, there are a few options for how you can listen to this program on air on RN, online with the ABC Listen app, or you can subscribe to get each new episode from wherever you like to get your podcasts. Simplest, quickest way to search is by typing in Sporty ABC. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.